If you've got a Bible, find your way to Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to give you a little time to get there because you might not have been there before. And it's in a weird place in the Bible. It's kind of in the, it's in like later in the Old Testament. It's after Psalms, so it just keeps going if you've hit Psalm. And Jeremiah chapter 29, it's a big book, um, Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Um, and if you need to keep looking in your Bible while I start praying, uh, just please feel the freedom to do that. Let's, let's pray together. God, you are the creator God of the universe. You've created everything. You hold everything in your hand. You are almighty. You are all-powerful. You're all-knowing. And you are love, and you're merciful. And you decide what justice is, and you desire it for all of creation. And God, in this place and in this time, in our minds, in our hearts, in the way that we live, we want to declare you as good, as holy, as righteous. And so be worshipped in us and in our time. The Holy Spirit, we, we invite you and in the best that we can give you permission to work and move that it's you that are in us as we follow Jesus, that you are with us at all times, that you empower us, that you comfort us, that you convict us, that you grieve with us, and you pray and speak for us when we can't. And we invite you into this time and this moment to work and move and to do what only you can do. And Jesus, Jesus, as we've sung to you, as we've sung of you, our desire as your people, as your church, is to declare you as king and as savior. You're the one that we need. You're the one that gives us life. You're the one by your life, death, and resurrection have given us the good news that we can enter into life and into your kingdom in the here and now. And so we say that we want to do that with you. We want to live with you right here, right now. Would you lead us and guide us and teach us this morning? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> a little over a year ago, in August of last year, uh, my son Max and I drove from Portland to Los Angeles. We were moving him back into uh, college. He was going back for his second year of college. It didn't turn out the way he liked because we were in the midst of COVID and all those kinds of restrictions. And we're driving on the five freeway. We're about near Shasta Lake in Northern California. And we were driving in what was new to him, but not new to the earth was a 1998 Toyota Corolla with way too many miles on it. And we had had it for a few months because a coworker of my wife, Abby, at work, at, she works at Legacy Emanuel Emergency Room, uh, had, had noticed that she was looking for a ride and said, oh, are you guys down a car? Here's a, I have a car, I was just gonna donate it because it's a 1998 Toyota Corolla and it has a million miles on it, but I was gonna donate it and get about a $200 tax break, so if you give me 200, you can have it. And so we got it and it drove still. And so we were giving it to Max for college because it was a $200 car and he loved it. And so so we're driving down on the freeway in August, if you don't know anything about Northern California in August, but um, when it's not on fire, it is already really hot. And it was hot, and we're driving down the freeway, and we go to pass, he's driving, we go to pass a, a big truck, and a, as we pass, I look over at the truck, and the truck driver looks down at me, catches my eye, then looks down at our car, and then looks back at me, and I'm thinking, 
no, really, it's okay that air conditioning works, we'll make it. And that's not what he was thinking. He looked down at me and then he pointed down and, and I looked at Max and I looked back at him and saw him pointing down and I, I rolled down the window. And if you're wondering what this is, this is not like a, a reverse like curl. This is what you do in a 1998 Toyota Corolla if you want the window to go down. Google it. Window goes down, I lean out and he yells that there's something wrong with our tire. We pull off the side of the freeway and we've got nearly a flat tire that neither one of us had felt. And once the tire cooled down enough, we got it off and got the, the spare on and we, we made it down a few more miles till we could get the tire fixed and patched and pumped up and we're back on our way to Southern California. About three years before that happened, Abby and I were able to, to buy for Max as he was getting ready to get his license and drive and all that, a, a really old uh, red Subaru Forester. Um, and if you don't know, those are like gold in Portland. And so we were able to get one through a friend and didn't pay very much for it. And it was a little bit older than Max and uh, had a lot of miles on it. And he drove it for just a couple short months and then the engine blew up and uh, stopped working completely. And we got it towed home and um, realized that it was significantly damaged and uh, it was gonna cost far more than we had paid for it to fix the engine. And so we had to give Max the, uh, you know, kind of the, the big, you know, soon to be adult kind of conversation of, um, we, we could get the car for you, but we don't have the money to now like double or triple the money we put into it to fix the engine so that you can drive it. So it's gonna sit in the garage for a while till we either save up the money or figure out how to do this. And so we're really sorry, um, but well, what a great lesson for you to learn. Um, so it sat in our, our garage or outside um, our house on the curb for a few months. And one night Max comes into our room and he says, I've been, I've been doing some research, I've been looking up stuff on YouTube and I think I can rebuild the engine. To which we said to him, that is a huge leap from Legos to rebuilding an engine. And he was confident that he could do it. And so we said, well, go for it. That's like next to free compared to what we were looking at. So Max starts working on the engine and it takes a few months. But my 16 year old son completely rebuilt a Subaru engine and got it running again and working and then drove it for the rest of high school. That has nothing to do with Jeremiah 29, but I just wanted to brag on my son. Wait, wait, no, that's not right. Oh, he rebuilt the engine. In doing that, he was also in the process of applying to college. And he had been thinking about medical, kind of biology, heading in the medical direction. And after rebuilding an engine, decided that he wanted to pursue mechanical engineering and then started looking at schools that would do mechanical engineering degrees. And today he's at a school that doesn't quite have a mechanical engineering degree, but has an applied physics degree. And he's planning on going on and doing a, some kind of a master's degree that I'm sure will be free in mechanical engineering. And it's actually affected the trajectory of his life. When we pulled off the freeway to change a tire, that was like a, that was like a, a mild disruption. That was like an interruption in our, our travel plans. It delayed us about an hour, an hour and a half. It was, it was not a big deal. When Max's engine blew up and he went through the process of rebuilding it, that was a major life transition for him and affected the trajectory of his life. There's a difference between a mild disruption where we experience a little bit of change and there's a difference between that and significant transition that changes the trajectory of our life or the life of a community or a society or a culture. 
it would be easy and maybe even more comfortable for us to think that what we're experiencing in our lives and in our culture and in our city and maybe even our world is a bit of a disruption because of what we've experienced over the last 18 months. That it's a mild disruption and we will get back to normal. I don't think that's what we're experiencing. I've said it over and over again and I want us to hear it clearly. I believe that we're in a time of transition that will affect the trajectory of our lives and not simply because of a pandemic. That's exposed something that I think is already going on in our culture and our world. And it matters how we respond as followers of Jesus, and it matters how we respond as one church among many in this city, in this nation, and in this world. I think we're in the midst of a significant transition where the future will look very different than what we maybe thought it would look like two years ago, 18 months ago. In the moment of, of transition, in the moment where everything seems to change, in the moment where we're in this in-between period, I love how my, one of my mentors and coaches, Terry Walling, defines transition in this way. He says it's an in-between moment where you can see where you've come from and you cannot go back. You can't go back to what was. It's gone forever. And you look to the future and you can't quite see the future but you know generally the direction that you're headed, that you're going this direction and not that direction. You can't see all the details. You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know all that. He, did, he describes it as like, we're familiar if you've read Genesis and you know the, the story of the people of God of Abraham, of God saying, hey, come and go, leave your land and go to another land. And Abraham's like, okay, well, um, what's the travel plans going to look like? And the first night when we stop at a hotel, is it going to be a, a king-size bed or two twins? What, you know, what's the accommodations like? And when we get there, what's the, what's the address going to be like? And what are the people like and all that? And God just says, no, go. Go to the land. I'm not giving you all the details. And Abraham is faced with, do I stay where I am with my people and my father's people and the land that I know and have developed and built in? Or do I step out into the in-between in the transition moment of what will be when I can't see everything? And today we're grateful that, that Abraham, so many generations ago, thousands of years ago, stepped out and followed God into the in-between in the tr transition moment into what would be. I think we're in one of, of those moments. And what's really good news that I want us to begin to see together today is that, that God actually gives us hope and a direction in the transition moments when we can't quite see what's next. And I want to look all the way back into Jeremiah, where there is this, this snapshot, this moment where God clearly gives hope and a direction when people were in the midst of not knowing which way was up. They wouldn't have even thought about in terms of disruption and transition. They just knew that everything had changed and they were looking for where to go and who to go with. And it's in that that we look at Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah is a prophet. He's a, he's a man that God gives words to, and when he's faithful, he delivers those words to the people of Israel, and at that time to Israel and to, to Judah. And he says in, in chapter 29, he says, I'm, I'm getting ready to give you a, one of those messages. It says this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's saying, I'm going to give you this letter. These are words from God. And just so you know what's going on here, who, who it's going to, it's going to the people of, that were from Jerusalem, but they're not in Jerusalem anymore. They've been taken to 
Babylon, this completely foreign country, foreign culture, everything is different. The language is different. The people are different. The ways are different. The food is different. Everything is different. The belief systems, the ideology, the philosophies, how they worshiped, everything is different in Babylon from what they had in Jerusalem. And not only that, but they were people that were identified with the land and the temple. And they were uprooted from that and taken away. And Jeremiah is writing this letter and he's saying, there's some surviving they didn't all survive, but there's some surviving elders and prophets and priests and everybody else that Nebuchadnezzar took from the land. And the reason he took them is because there was a king of Judah who had stopped paying basically his, his uh, money that Nebuchadnezzar had demanded. He said, if you pay me this money, I'll let you be your own people and your own culture in your own land. But just so you know, I'm your neighbor and I'm more powerful than you. And so you're going to pay me every month or year. And the king of Judah decided, nope. I think we're strong enough, we'll resist. So he stopped paying him, and Nebuchadnezzar went, well, that wasn't very smart. And he came in, and he just defeated him and wiped him out and took all the people and said, okay, I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you. And Jeremiah is writing to those people that are now what's called exiles in a foreign land. Here's, here's what God says. Jeremiah is de de delivering this word. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried. <clears throat> into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is, the, this is the, what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. <clears throat> God's reminding them who he is right here. And, and they need it, M much like we often need it, and we need it consistently. It's one of the reasons that we we take time in our week to gather together to sing to God, to remind us who he is. When we sing songs to God, it, it helps shape our mind and our, it, it puts us back into reality that we lose often through the rest of our weeks when we're consumed and busy with so many other things and we come together and we go, oh yeah, this is who God is. This is what's most real. Thank you, Chris. God's reminding them, this is who I am. And they need it because they're in exile and everything's different. Everything they loved and knew and were familiar with that helped shape them is gone. And they're in this foreign land. And so God's writing this letter to them and he says, I'm still almighty. I'm still your God. I'm God of Israel. And then there's this next line that says, and I'm going to give you this, this note, this message for all the people. And he says that I carried from Jerusalem into Babylon, which is a little different than what Jeremiah said a few verses earlier when he said Nebuchadnezzar carried him. And both are actually true. Nebuchadnezzar was the one that took them from Jerusalem and put them in Babylon. But God allowed it to happen. You don't want to dive too theologically into these deep waters right now this morning. We can do this later sometime. But another way to say it is that God not only allowed it, but caused it to happen. And in doing so, one of these wonderful things that God reveals is that he's faithful. Now catch this. The people of Israel are God's people. God's identified them as his. He's identified himself with them and said, I'm going to be known by you through everyone. And so when you live unfaithfully for year after year after year, and you do things that I've explicitly told you not to do, I'm gonna be faithful to my covenant and to my character to you and say, you don't get the good promises that I've given you 
because you've been unfaithful. And so he's demonstrating to everyone, including us today, that can look back in history and say the people of Israel got ejected out of the land God promised because they were unfaithful. And yet God is proving, proving faithful. And even in the midst of this loving discipline of them, he's still saying, I'm going to be faithful to you. And so you're going to be in Babylon, but I'm going to write this letter to you through Jeremiah, and I'm going to remind you that I'm still almighty, I'm still in control. I'm still your God, even though you're over here and not in the land I promised you. And I am still going to be faithful to you. I am in control. What we can hear today is that in the midst of transition and change that is unlike any that perhaps any of us have experienced in life before, we can feel that our world is shifting and we can't quite put our feet on solid ground and we don't know what the next month is gonna look like or what the next mandate is gonna look like or what school is gonna look like for our kids or what our employment status is gonna look like or the economic trajectory is gonna look like or world relations is gonna look like across different nations across. As everything is shifting at an unknown, there's something solid that we can put our foot on and that's the character and behavior of the God of the universe. And he says, I am still going to be faithful to you, even in a new location, even in a new time, even in a new place, I am still going to be faithful. What it also does for us, it tells us that we are in God's story. He's not in ours. I mean, that plays really well. It plays really well to say God has entered into my story. And you know what? He graciously lets us think that for like a moment. And wow, it gives us confidence and faith because at some level it's true. But on a bigger level, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm helping you to see that you're part of something that's much bigger than yourself, that you're part of my story. You're part of what I'm doing. And so I want you to live in a way that reveals to those around you that you serve and know and love and are saved by a God that is much, much bigger than you and your circumstances. And even when you cannot see into the future and know all the details of what's next, I am faithful and will be with you. He's saying, I'm faithful. And then he's saying, yes, and there is tremendous amount of transition and change, so much so that it's rocking your entire world. That there is some, so he says, you're going from Jerusalem to Babylon, and that's massive, massive change. Just acknowledges that. But then what's really helpful is he says, not only do I wanna give you hope because who I am is unchanged, I'm gonna give you direction on what actually to do in the moment of transition that's gonna take you into the future. I'm gonna give you direction on what to do in the moment, in the in-between, on the way to the future. And the reason I can give you this direction and the reason that you can begin to live in this way is because I am faithful. And no matter where you are or what's going on, I have not let you go out of my hand. And so he says this, because I am faithful, now verse five, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. And th th that doesn't really work today, by the way. You can't like, th th we'll get what all this means in a little bit, but find wives, I mean, houses and gardens we can kind of get, but yeah, we're not living in a time of arranged marriage. For your sons and give your daughters away in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. To which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is obviously where this, 
this kind of title for this series comes from some gardens, houses, and families, and we're going to come back to this in, in just a little bit. The next verses say this. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God, God knows us really, really well. I know that might sound really basic, but be sure of that. God, God knows the way that we think and our instincts and our proclivities and how we respond when we're in the moment of transition and when change is coming. Even when we say God might be leading us in this direction, God might be carrying us in this direction, there are many of us, and I'm going to put myself in this because I can tend to do this. When change comes, I start to feel uncomfortable. I like stability. I like knowing what's next. I like having a plan that's four, five, 12 steps out. I like not being surprised. And what's underneath all of that is I have to confess that I actually am more comfortable when my faith is not stretched. I'm more comfortable when God's not deepening my dependence and trust on him. I wish I was different in that. I am glad when God grows me in my capacity to depend and trust on him. And God is writing this to those in Babylon at the time because what they were doing is they were having lunch and they were having coffee and they were having tea and on the work site where they were at and when they were doing their collective babysitting times, what they were doing is talking to one another and saying, God's going to get us out of here soon, right? Hey, hey, you're, you're kind of like a prophet, right? Right? Well, hey, why don't you prophesy that this is going to end really soon? Hey, I don't know what a diviner is, but will you be a diviner and will you say this message from God? God's calling them out before they even get there. He says, this is what you're going to tend towards. You're going to tend towards ejecting out of this as fast as you can. And you're going to start looking at those that have identified themselves as prophets and prophetess and diviners who are going to say they're speaking for me and they're not. They're deceiving. They're prophesying lies because what they want to hear is that this will all be over soon and we'll be back to normal. For them, that was Jerusalem. So they're going out, finding their friends that are saying, yeah, you want that too. Let's get our prophet neighbor to say that. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The guy that you don't like, the guy that you threw in a well and tried to get rid of, the guy that you tried to kill back in Jerusalem because he was speaking for me, Jeremiah, he's delivering this letter and he's saying, no, 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 I'm out ahead of you. Don't do that. Do not do that. Listen to my man, Jeremiah. Don't find some false prophet that's prophesying lies. And we all want that. We all want to hear the things that we want to hear. And yet, those two verses squeezed in there right after God has said, here's how I want you to behave when you're in Babylon. Here's where I want you to behave when you're uncomfortable. Here's how I want you to behave when you're in a place that doesn't quite make sense. Here's when I want you to behave when you can't quite see the future. And he goes and he says, plant gardens, build houses, grow families. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. I'll take you back to Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm faithful. I'm still faithful. This is really hard for you right now, but I'm still faithful. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And don't mistake, that's not when 70 years is done, they start praying. It's already said, hey, you're praying for this, pray for the city, be praying, be faithful. You don't have to be in the temple anymore. In fact, you can't be in the temple. You're out in Babylon, you're in this foreign country. Be praying and seek me with all of who you are. Follow me, trust me, even when you can't see the way forward. I'm faithful, I'm here, I'm with you. I'm not far, I'm near. You may have heard that one verse, or you may have it on a coffee mug or some kind of, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Another way of saying that, I'm gonna give you a hopeful end. I know how this all ends up. It's good, and it's good, not in your circumstances, not in your terms, not in your equation and what it might look like. It's good because I am good, and I am faithful, and I am never gonna leave you. And even if everything around you is very confusing and difficult, I will be with you. What this means for us, what this means for our church, what this means for us as followers of Jesus in this time, in this season, when there is so much change, and we want to go back to what was, and yet we know that that's not possible. Like, we know that things have changed and never gone back. I hope that we're not wearing masks forever. I hope that we don't have to have these, whatever these things are forever. I hope that we can go to school and feel safe. I hope that our employment status and jobs aren't threatened by whether we, we have a vaccine or not. I, I hope that those things go away. But I don't know. I don't know when that is or what that's going to look like. And that's just one of the things that is changing, that we can look at it a pandemic and the response to it. That's just one part of our world right now that is radically and significantly changing. And underneath of that, it's exposing how our nation has changed significantly in just a couple generations. As we look at the way that we're relating with the rest of the world, and we look at the way that we're interconnected in a way that no generation has ever been, how is it that we're to stand at this in-between time and look into the future and be the people of God that know and follow Jesus and step into an unknown? and say, God, you are still faithful here. We are still your people. We are still your church. I want to share something that God gave to us as a church a little over two years ago. And it actually answers so much of these questions. It answers so much of of what it's like to step into the unknown. And in, in these words, I see a unique gift and providence of the almighty God of Israel who is carrying us now and gave it to us early and now we're seeing in a new light today. We had a team of people that were tasked and commissioned to pray and seek God's vision. We had a prayer team and a visioning team that worked together for three months in the spring of 2019. And God, God gave us and worked in those months in a significant and powerful way And we, the best of our capabilities, put down on paper the vision that we believed God was calling us to as a church. And then we faithfully started working it out and talking with leaders and sharing with other leaders. And in January of 2020, we met in this space, in this building, with about 100 and 120 leaders and said, this is where we believe God is leading us as a church. And God worked in that time and confirmed in that time. And then we said, okay, we're gonna share with the rest of Mosaic and we picked a date. 
And we were gonna do it all together in one place at one time, and it was gonna be the evening of March 15th. The evening of March 15th, 2020. Or another way to say that is 72 hours after our governor said you cannot meet in groups for more than 250 people. And so we didn't do it. And over the last 18 months, what God has done has brought further clarity and revealed these are the words that I had for you. And this is some new ways I want you to live it out. So I want to share these words with you now. And I think that they've, from God, and spoken to us, and it's God saying, this is the way to step into what you can't fully see all the details of, but this is where I'm sending you. This is the land that I'm calling you to, in his words to Abraham. And so I'm going to read these to you, and then over the next number of weeks, we're going to, we're going to work these out together. We're going to talk more about them. There's four lines. The first line says this. In a city known for self-reliance, loneliness, and cynicism, we are compelled, we are compelled by the love of Jesus to live distinctly different lives. We're to be a set-apart people who look different, who live differently, that when others come in contact with us, they're able to say, you're not just weird, you're, you're different, and there's something interesting and attractive about that because we're living like Jesus would have us live in the here and now. We live in a city that is self-reliant, that is blaze your own trail and define yourself. We live in a city that is also uniquely lonely. Statistics show this, where people are, are seeking and longing for not just community, but a sense of family. And if you don't think we live in a city of cynicism, it's because you're cynically wanting to debate with me right now. The second line is this. We will contribute to a movement of courageous and resilient disciples. We'll contribute to a movement of courageous and resilient disciples who are formed by God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and sent by Jesus. If you lived in the Portland, Vancouver metro area for more than five minutes, you know to be a follower of Jesus in this time and in this place takes courage and resilience. And so we want God to form those things in us. And the way that he does that, by us being oriented around his truth that comes through God's word, that God delivers his word to us through scripture. And we want to be faithful to it and look to it regularly and be formed by it. That we know that as we know and follow Jesus, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we can't possibly live on our own power and honor God who is holy and perfect. And then we not only are where we are, but we are where we are because God has sent us here. And so Jesus sends us where we are, wherever we are, Jesus sends us. And we want to contribute to a movement of this where we are, and that's just simply an acknowledgement that God wants, what God wants to do in and around our city is not something that we could possibly even come close to imagining and realizing as one church. And we want to link arms with other churches and see God Start and multiply a movement of disciples in our city and in our region. The third line is this. By 2025, we will equip and commission 500 people who break barriers, love neighbors, and uniquely contribute to more of God's kingdom coming in the Portland, Vancouver metro area and beyond. When we prayed this in 2019, I knew that we would be starting it in 2020. We said, let's just put a, a five-year marker on this. 
and put a number that is way beyond what we could possibly do in our own human estimation and power. That we would put a number on it that says, if this happens, it's because God showed up. And would force us to move forward with a dependency on God that says, we can't do this, we need you to work. But we want to commission and equip. Equip people, develop them, send them out in a way that they would break barriers, that they would love neighbors, and that they would uniquely contribute. And that simply means we can't possibly envision and dream up all the ways that this would happen. That we believe that God has brought together churches, not just ours, but others, in order to, to equip and send out people right where they are to break barriers and live for Jesus in increasingly radically, radical and devoted ways. That, that others would say, why is it that you're treating me this way? This is, this is weird, but I'm grateful for it. That we would love neighbors that would turn the social opinion about Jesus' church back to what it's truly meant to be and not what it's been marred to be and scarred to be by the way churches have lived and behaved and treated other people for generations in this land, in our country. But that we would love neighbors in such a way that it says, I want to be a part of the church family. I want to follow Jesus with you. That we would uniquely contribute to more of God's kingdom coming. That we would be so empowered by the Holy Spirit, so encouraged and commissioned and supported to go and live in unique and special ways in a way that brings more of God's kingdom to wherever we are. That God has actually given us as a church so many different dreams and visions about how he wants us to contribute that we couldn't possibly put them on a slide in front of us like this. That we can merely say, God, you're doing something within us. And what does it look like for us to unleash and to send and to commission people to live in his power in their neighborhoods and places of work and wherever God has put them? We phrased our dream like this, that we dream of a day where every cynic knows the Savior, where all the lonely find a family, and every activist joins God's mission. Because we know there's cynics in our city that need Jesus, just like us, and we know that because we're cynical and we need Jesus. We know that there's a lonely in our city that need a family, because many of us have experienced loneliness if we're not experiencing now, and we need community, and we need a family. And we are a city that idolizes, and empowers, and embraces, and worships activists. And we see the evidence of that gone wrong every day we wake up and walk through our city. And it's because they're not linked to and supporting God's mission. And so we want to be a part of calling activists to know and follow Jesus in such a way that they're an activist for God's mission in our world. When God invites us into the unknown, he says, I'm faithful. And because I'm faithful right where you're at, you need to plant a garden, you need to build a house, and you need to grow a family. Plant gardens and eat what they produce build houses, and set down roots, and grow families. That's the call. That's the call to the people of God when they were there. That's the call of people of God right now. There's three questions that I think derive from this that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. I think the first one is when it talks about gardens. It's what, is, what sustains our life? What is it that we're dependent on that we need to feed us? 
It's Jesus and it's worshiping God. The, the second one is to, is houses. Is where has God planted you? Where has God placed you? Where's your address? Where's your place of work? Where's the friends that you have favor with? God is... God has asked you to build a house, to build a place somewhere in this city. And the last one is this, is when you look at your family, who are you with? Some of us can identify that, some of us cannot, but we need to, who are we with? That's where we're going in the next coming weeks. I hope you'll join us. Please be praying. Join us on Tuesdays as we pray and fast, and we ask God to work and move in us. I'm going to pray for us now, and we're going to go into a time of communion. If you've got that little cup with you, if you'd fold down the tab, and then if you peel back, if you're watching online or if you're listening in another time, would you take a moment now to, to get elements and bring them? And let's pray together. Let's take communion together. Let's remind ourselves that we need Jesus. We need Jesus, and it's only through him and his sacrifice that we can live into the life that he's called us. And so, Jesus, we come to you now. And we're reminded that, that we need you, that your good news, that your life, your death, burial, conquering of death and resurrection is what gives us hope and life. And so as we take this wafer or this bread that we're reminded of your body broken, and as we drink this cup, this juice that we are reminded of your blood shed for us, out of your great love for us, that you've brought us from death to life, and we want to live fully with you more into your kingdom in the here and now. And so would you help us do that as we remember you and your sacrifice?